Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Where we experience all spiritual blessings. Oh, hallelujah. And this is the place that God is desiring to take us as a church. This is the promise of the Lord. Now, you see, and I got to hurry, but now it is up to us, and I'm going I'm to continue teaching, but it's up to us. Do we want to walk in a percentage of the blessing? Are we satisfied with a portion of the blessing? Or do we want to walk in all the blessing? So now, it, now, now that's the question you have to ask yourself. Am I willing to do what it takes to get to all, or do I just want to do what it takes to experience some and still go to heaven? Because you can experience a percentage of it and still go to heaven. Right? This isn't a heaven or hell issue. This is about us experiencing everything that God wants us to experience. So what percentage of all do we want to experience? And what percentage of it are we willing to say, I don't want to make the cost necessary for that. I'll just keep with what I've got because I'm comfortable with where I am. So he says, I want to bless you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There's a place in me that you can get to where you experience every blessing that I have went to the cross to give to you. So how do we get there? The very next verse tells us, and this is why uh, it's difficult for some people to get to this place, myself included. The very next verse tells us how to get there. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy. Holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I, I got to go fast here tonight. But I want you to see it is the will of heaven to be demonstrated on earth so that we can experience all spiritual blessings. But it will only be demonstrated upon a people who are holy and without blame. This is where it gets tough. And this is why more of us don't experience all. Hallelujah. So now, you, you got to understand this. This does not mean that all spiritual blessings will only fall on perfect people. Because there are no perfect people. And God understands there's no perfect people. It means that all spiritual blessings will fall on a people that will live a lifestyle of repentance before the Lord so that they can stay in a perpetual place of being holy and without blame. It doesn't mean that we're not ever going to fail. It just means that when we fail, we immediately repent. If you don't get anything else, understand this. It is the will of God for us to live lives that are saturated with repentance. So as to be holy and without blame... 
Why? Because he wants us to operate and experience all spiritual blessing. But everybody can't get there. If it were easy to get there, everybody would be there. But there are certain requirements necessary for the blessing because he, got, he has to know who he can trust to bless. And he needs to know, are you willing to do what I've asked you to do at a level higher than everyone else is willing to do it in order to get and experience the greater things that everybody else don't get to see? Oh, hallelujah. So it is that a people who saturate themselves with repentance have access to this heavenly place in him where all spiritual blessings will reside. Paul would say it like this to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles? The what? The unsearchable. That means it, if we've been in church 20 years, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. Don't matter how many revivals we've been in. No matter how many Wednesday night and Sundays we've been, we haven't even scratched the surface of what God has for us to experience. Why? Because they're unsearchable. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the what? These heavenly places are to be known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. He's telling us, I don't want these heavenly places to be vague, unknowable to the church. I want the church to know all about them. I'm not keeping you from them. I'm not withholding them from you. I want you to know what they are. I want you to walk in them. I want you to experience them. And so, he, so he's talking about all this stuff. And then the apostle Paul continues talking about that which, that which heaven would desire to release into the, to, the, uh, to the church for the church to experience. And he says this in Ephesians 3, 17, a few verses later. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Ready? I want you to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth what is the length? What is the depth? And what is the height? He's talking about these unsearchable things. He's talking about these things in God in these heavenly places. He says, but hear me. I don't want you to just look at them as some far off thing that you're never going to experience and never going to get to walk in. He says, no, 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 no. He said, I want you to be able to comprehend it. I want you to grasp it. I want you to touch not just some of it. I want you to grasp the breadth of it and the length of it and the depth of it and the height of it. 
but I don't want you just to dabble your toe in it on a Sunday. I don't want you just to open the door and peek in a little bit. He said, no, I want you to walk the length of it. I want you to walk the depth of it. I want you to scale the height of it and dig to the depths of it. I want you to experience all of it. I want the church to know the promises that I have given to them for them to walk in and for them to experience and then for them to hold within their hands, see with their eyes. I don't want them to just talk about seeing it. I want them to see it. I want you to know about it. Woo. Somebody said amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The psalmist would declare like this in Psalms 24 and 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? This place that is holy and powerful. This place where we can experience everything that he promised to us. Who can stand in that place? Who gets to get to that place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul in vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He... He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Hallelujah. It's not because we shout the hardest. It's not because we sing the best, and it's not even because we've been in church the longest. It's about a lifestyle of repentance puts us into this place. Clean hands and a pure heart. Watch this. The Bible speaking of Jesus Christ. And I need, your, I need your minds here for a little bit. Think with me. But Jesus, uh, the Bible speaking of Jesus Christ in his flesh. In his flesh. The Bible would say this. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had him by himself purged our sins. He sat down after he had purged our sins. Where did, he, where did he take care of our sins at? Calvary. After that, after he took care of our sins by allowing his flesh to be crucified, he then sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I know I don't have to explain this to this church, but we understand that God is spirit. Therefore, spirit has no right hand nor left hand. So this is not some Trinitarian reference depicting God the, uh, you know, God the Son sitting next to God the Father you know, on three thrones up in heaven. That's not what this is talking about. Because when the book speaks of the right hand of God, it is simply referencing the power and the authority of God. That's what it's talking about. When you read about the right hand of God, it's not talking about a literal right hand because he's a spirit doesn't have hands. It's talking about power, his power, and his authority. So we see that when Jesus dealt with the sin issue of humanity at the cross, he then ceased what he had to do in the flesh. Right? Because how many know in his flesh he had one real purpose? It wasn't necessarily to come and heal the sick and open the blinded eyes. Even though that's what he did, that was not the purpose of the flesh. The purpose of his flesh was to be crucified. And once he was crucified, then he now is operating in this place of power and authority. Somebody said amen. He was able to dwell The Spirit of God is now operating of power.
power and authority because the flesh of God was crucified. We have to understand because somebody in the room say, well, I get that for Jesus. I understand that for Jesus, but what does that have to do with you and I? Watch this now. The book would say this about you and I. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christ died his flesh and now on the sits on the right hand the place of power spiritual power and spiritual authority and the book tells us that he it is his will for us to be raised together and to sit together with him in these heavenly places but I want you to understand the only way you and I are going to be able to sit in a place where there is power and authority in the spirit is if our flesh goes through the same process that his flesh went through. Mm. You see, that's why there's not more people operating in power and authority. And I'm preaching to myself more than anybody in the room. That's why we talk about signs, wonders, and miracles, but we very rarely operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. That's why we shout about lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, but the only time we ever do it is in these altars. Come on now. Testing. Am I okay? Why? Because we have to understand, we have to understand that to operate in a place of spiritual power and authority requires crucifixion of self. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And how many know everybody doesn't want to crucify flesh? Because it's painful and it's hard. And sometimes we just want to do what we want to do. Amen. But I'm, what, what I feel the Holy Ghost would speak to this church is this. There are th- places that he desires to take you as a people that the only way you're going to be able to experience them is if the power and the authority of the Spirit of God is able to be at work. Why? Because the places he wants to give you, you can't get there by talent and you can't get there by ability and you can't get there because you got a beautiful church on a main highway and you can't get there because you got a little money in the bank and because you got nice signs and you got this, that, or the other. No, sir, no, ma'am. There's a place in him where he's trying to take this church and he said the only place, the only way you're going to get there is if you tap into the power and the authority of the spirit and you begin to operate according to the spirit, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, not operating according to what you can do, but operating according to only what God can do. That's the place he's trying to take us as a people, a place where we step beyond our fleshly veil and we operate and we begin to flow in the moving of the Holy Ghost. And as we flow in that dimension, we begin to understand I've got a power I've never operated in before. I've got an authority I've never operated in before. I'm no longer just laying hands on people in the altar, but now I'm laying hands on people at work and they sign. 
mine shall follow them that believe. And I'm seeing miracles happen at my office. And I'm seeing miracles happen in my neighborhood. Why? Because I made up my mind. I'm going to crucify my flesh so I can sit together with him in heavenly places. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Give him praise. Somebody said amen. Amen. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible says this, always. Somebody say always. Always. Bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Now this is important you've been in church any length of time, you've, you've no doubt seen this verse and you know. But I want, you to, I want you to notice, this is talking about you and I, and it says we are to bear about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice that it does not say the death of our Lord Jesus. I mean, no, he, he, didn't, he wasn't just in the process of dying, but then he eventually died. Right? But it's not telling us to die completely. It says to bear about in your body the state of dying, not the act of death. Oh, here's why. Because death is final. Death is complete. At death, how many know it's finished? But dying speaks of the activity of death continually and actively being at work in our lives. This is is what this is telling us. It's telling us that God never wants us to get to a place where we feel like our repentance is complete. Oh, hallelujah. Can I talk to some church folks now? Because this is the stuff that God just, man, he just raked me over the coals. God never wants us to get to a place where we feel like our repentance is finished. And now here's the deal. This is a real challenge, especially for those of us who've been in church for a while. So let me ask you the question. Let me just ask you the question. Don't answer it out loud, but just just work with me here, all right? How many would say, how many in the room would say, you you can raise your hand because I think I I know the answer. How many of you in the room would say that you have a long way to go before you would be like Jesus? Like a long way. Like a real long way. Okay. So that we can settle that? All right. Nobody would doubt that? Here's the problem. I would venture to guess that right now you could not think of more than two things in your life that you would need to repent of in order to become more like Christ.
I'm just, I'm just waiting. Just letting you think. Right now, if somebody, if, if I gave you a pen and a piece of paper and had you start listing things you know right now you need to repent for, I would venture to guess that very few of you could list more than two things right now that you need to repent for. Now think about this. This is important. Because we just got done saying that we've got a long way to go to be like Jesus. Which, wouldn't that also mean we would have like 5,000 things to repent for? Right? If we are <laughs> that far away from his holiness and his righteousness, wouldn't you say that that would also have to mean that we've got a million things to repent for? So why is it that we can't think of more than two? And one of them is the besetting sin that you repent for all the time. <laughs> is this okay? Everybody, we're just thinking, right? God's just talking to us. You see, somewhere along the way, we got to a place where we feel like we have nothing, nothing left to repent for. And when pastor gets up and preaches a message on repentance, we look around for the sinners and the backsliders. And we say, sick them, pastor. I know who he's preaching to. Yeah, he's preaching to them, he's preaching to them, he's preaching to them. But we never think that he's preaching to us. Because we've been in church for 20 years. I can't, and we walk up, you know, we do diligence in an apostolic services to come down to the front and to pray. And so a preacher, pastor preaches about repentance. We come down to the front and we stand there and we rack our brain and we rack our brain and we rack our brain. And we're like, I just can't think of nothing. Why? Because we already repented for the big ticket items a long time ago. You know what I'm talking about, big ticket items? For those of you that don't, it's the stuff you used to do before you got in church. Right? The lying and the cheating and the adultery and the... Come on, let's just get real. You weren't perfect before you got saved, were you? <laughs> Man, it's quiet right now. You're not fooling nobody. You were not perfect. We all made mistakes. And so what happens is we got into church and we got these big, huge, ugly things in our lives that we were doing and we started repenting for them. Right? But then all, and we started working on those things and working on those things and then we got all those big things out of our lives and now we've been in church for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years and now it's like I have no idea what to repent for because I don't do those things that I used to do and yet we still would make the comment and say but I have so far to go to be like Jesus so we've come a long way to be sure absolutely but we've got a long way to go and how many know that the same thing that got us to this point is going to take us further 
Oh, hallelujah. And so if repentance, if repentance got us to this place, then repentance is what's going to move us to become even closer to be like Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. So then we are to always, the verse said, bear about in our bodies the dying. The dying. Now, somebody in the room, somebody said, well, I repent every day. Okay, let, let me just, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But let me, let, me, uh, let me tell you what your time of repentance sounds like. Tell me, tell me if I'm close. Jesus, forgive me of every sin that's in my life. Forgive me of everything I've done that was wrong. Nothing specific. Very general. We don't know what we've done wrong. We don't know what we've done that was against his word. So we pray very general repentance prayers. Right? Am I close? Would you just be honest and say I'm kind of close? We pray general prayers of repentance and we don't get specific at all. And the reason we don't get specific is because we don't know anything specific to repent for. When is the last time, and when I'm telling you I'm preaching to myself more than anybody, I've preached this message to myself like 1,047 times. Okay? When is the last time we repented for something new? When is the last time we put ourselves in a position in God, in prayer, where we opened ourselves up to him and allowed him the freedom to speak to us something new to repent for? So that when we got into repentance, we said, we got something new to repent for today. How long has it been since we did that? Because if, 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 if we go months and years without anything new, how many know that that means we're probably not progressing? Is that fair to say? And if we're not progressing, then we're not becoming more like Jesus because how many know he is holy, so we're to be holy. But if we camped at a certain place of repentance, even though the Bible says that we are to bear about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus continually every day. If we've camped at a place where we feel like our, our repentance is complete, then that means we're not becoming more like Christ. We're staying at the same level that we are. And I don't believe that that's God's will. I don't believe that that's what he wants us to do. So repentance is to be something that continually stays with us. But here's what I want you to see. This is why this is so important. Because 2 Corinthians 4 and 10 says this, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, comma, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Do we understand how powerful of a verse that is? He said, if you're willing to continually die out to sin with a life that is saturated with repentance, then the life of Jesus will be made manifest in your life. Yeah. Oh, this life, does anybody remember what the life of Jesus accomplished? Right. Yeah. 
He did a lot of really awesome stuff. And he has promised us in his word, this is why this is so important. He has promised us in his word, he's saying, if you, if you want your life to do what my life did, if you want to accomplish in your life what my life accomplished, he said, it is the will of God for that to happen, for my life to be made manifest in your life. That's the promise of the Lord. But he said, everybody's not going to get there and everybody's not going to experience it. But the people who will get to the place where they continually die are the people who I can trust to release my life into them and they can do what I did. Oh, hallelujah. Is anybody hear the word of the Lord saying, greater works than these shall ye do? Come on, that's not just something that is supposed to be one day, one day, one day. We're going to do greater works than what? No, that's not the will of God. He said greater works than these shall you do. That's something I'm supposed to be operating in. That's supposed to be something you're operating in. It's not to just be something we talk about, shout about, and run the aisles about. It's supposed to be something we are actually doing doing and he tells us how to do it he said if you will continually die in a life that is saturated with repentance then my life will operate through you hallelujah hallelujah it's not what to do is not hard the doing of it is what's hard somebody said amen Is this all right tonight? Now watch this. Watch this. Luke 15 and 10. Likewise, I say unto you, and I'm going to hurry. I'm going to just hurry. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Right? Now, now listen. However your pastor preaches that he's right and I'm wrong, okay? But what I saw was that phrase, in the presence. There is joy in, in the presence. In the presence, there is a phrase that literally means in front of. In front of. So here we see that there is joy that is being shown by that which is in front of the angels. So what is in front of the angels that is showing joy when a sinner repents? Revelation chapter 7 and verse 11. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and they fell before the throne on their faces and they worshiped who? God. So here we see that it is the Lord that is on the throne and therefore in front of the angels. So when the scripture tells us that there is joy that is taking place in front of the angels, it is literally telling us that it is God who gets joy when somebody repents. Oh, hallelujah. Woo! Why? Because whether they're repenting for the first time or whether they're repenting for the millionth time, he is joyful because in proportion to their repentance, he is now being released to do what he went to Calvary to do, and that is to extend his glory into their midst. 
I'm trying to tell somebody uh, this isn't a drudgery to repent. Uh, I want you to understand uh, the God of all heaven rejoices uh, when you and I repent uh, because he has set it up uh, for repentance uh, to be the key uh, that unlocks heaven uh, touching earth uh, and so it brings him joy. He wants to give it. He went to the cross uh, to give us all of this stuff. Uh, power and authority. Uh, walking in spiritual dimensions. The breadth, the height, the length, the depth of it all. Uh, and he's waiting and he's looking and he's waiting and he's looking. And when he finds somebody that repents, uh, he says, yes. He gets so joyful. Why? Because now I can give it to them. Now I can show it to them. Now I can experience it for them. Now they can walk in it and not just talk about it. Now they can actually do it. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, that's why just a few verses before this, Luke 15 and 10, we read this. Luke 15, uh, a few verses before 15 and 10, we read this in Luke 15 and 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Oh, hallelujah. Now here's the deal. I never understood this verse. I preached about it, but I never understood it. I couldn't understand why heaven would be so joyful over one person who repented more than heaven would be rejoiceful, re rejoicing over the 90 and 9 other people who were living right and talking right. Just persons. I couldn't understand that. I'm like, these 99, they're just people. They're doing good. They're living holy. They're doing what you want them to do. And you're not happy about them. You're just happy over the person who repents. But then I got some revelation because the phrase just persons, 99 just persons, actually says and speaks of, of those who seem to themselves to be righteous. Oh, hallelujah. Those who pride themselves to be righteous. How many know there's a big difference? <laughs> in those who are righteous and those who say they're righteous. They're not really righteous at all. They just think they are. Now it all makes sense because God so desperately desires to release his greater spiritual dimensions into the context of the church. And so he's willing and he wants to reveal all of his promises to us. But he says, if you've got 100 people in the room and 99 of them think themselves to be so righteous that they've lost count or they've lost reality of what to repent for heaven can't be excited about those people because their lack of repentance I just don't know what to repent for lack of repentance is keeping him from releasing the greater things into their lives but if he can find one person who will become willing whether they've been in church five minutes or for 50 years if he can find one person that says I don't want to just think myself to be righteous I don't want to just think because I've been in church for 40 years that I don't have nothing left to repent for I want to 
pursue after the holiness of God and I want him to show me something every day, every week of something new that I need to repent for so that I can find my place of prayer and I can repent, not just the general prayer of repentance, but that I can repent something new and something specific because when I do, all of heaven begins to rejoice. All of God begins to rejoice because he says, ah, I can give something to him. Ah, I can reveal something to him. Ah, there's stuff that I couldn't give to him that I promised to him, but now I can show it to him. Come on, how many want the greater things of God? So it is. This is this has completely changed my life and, and, and the way I pray and the way I think. Because we need to begin to view, and I'm, I'm gonna try to hurry so fast now. We need to start viewing repentance from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective. So just ask yourselves the question, how many of you are excited when it comes to your time of repentance in prayer? I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you, when you get down to pray, we all know we need to repent. How many of you are like, man, I can't wait to get to repentance. I'm so excited about repentance. Just can't wait to get there in prayer. I would venture to say very few of us. And we probably get there as quick as we can and we get through it as quick as we can. And then we get on to the good stuff. We get on to the stuff that is exciting. But what I want you to understand is that is an earthly perspective of repentance. A heavenly perspective is God saying, I get so much joy over repentance. You see the difference? Heaven rejoices, gets excited, is exuberant about repentance. And we get through it as quick as we possibly can. And the reason is this, because to us, repentance is all about what we will lose. If I don't repent, I'm going to lose my ministry. If I don't repent, I'm going to lose my position. If I don't repent and somebody finds out, I'm not going to be a praise singer anymore. I'm not going to be the whatever anymore. I'm, not, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose my witness. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose this, that, and the other. Am I close a little bit? When we go into repentance, we know these things that are in our life. We've got to repent for because if we don't repent for them, we're going to lose something. And heaven's perspective is when you repent, you gain something. What would happen? Jesus, help us right now. What would happen if we got to a place in our walk with God where our understanding of repentance moved from just what I have to give up to an understanding of what I gain? If you truly understood, and if I truly understood that all of heaven is waiting to rejoice over repentance because he then gets to release what he has promised to us into our lives in a demonstration and on a level we've never experienced it before, 
How many of us would be willing to say, you know what? I need, I need to think differently about this repentance thing. Oh, hallelujah. How many of us would want to go on a journey that says, okay, God, you got all this stuff you want to show me, all this stuff you want to give to me, but you can't give it to me because of where I am in my life spiritually. Yes, I know I got a long way to go to be like you, but I've pretty much camped right here, and all I pray is general prayers of repentance, nothing specific, and so I can't move forward. And so now that I realize that, God, I don't want you to have to withhold those things from me. I want to experience them. So God, today when I get down to repent, I'm not just going to pray a general prayer, get through it as quickly as I possibly can, but I'm going to camp right here until you speak to me something new. And I'm going to be open and honest and transparent before you until you speak something new to me that I need to repent for. See, because what happens is this. When he speaks something new to you and you repent of that, yes, it's the dying process. Yes, it's painful. Yes, there's tears. It is death. That's what repentance is. But you do it with an understanding of it's not what I'm losing. It's what I'm gaining. If we could get that concept, how many think we would be more excited about repentance? And if we're more excited about repentance than how many would think that tomorrow and next week and next month, as we move forward in repentance, we're not going to stay camped at the place we've been for years, but it's going to move us. And he speaks something new to us, and we come that much more like Christ. And he speaks something new to us, and we become that much more like Christ. And now we're experiencing things that we've never experienced before. Now we're walking in spiritual dimensions that we've never walked in before. Now we're operating in power and authority like we've never operated in before. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Stand. Stand with me. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody said amen. amen. Two more things and I'm done. Stay standing. I'll get through it quick. But the Lord tried to show us this example, and he tried to prove this to us at the very beginning of our relationship with him. How many know when we came in right relationship with Jesus Christ, it was because we were obedient to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? Right. You know what he said? He said, repent right. and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive. Repent and you shall receive. <laughs> repent and you shall receive. Earthly perspective is repentance is all about what I got to give up. Heavenly perspective is repent and you shall receive. He tried to establish that at the very beginning of our walk with him so that moving forward we would know that that principle does not stop. The more we repent, the more we receive. Somebody said amen. amen. Last point and I'm done. That is why Jesus, he's manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin, comes down, 
gets to about adulthood or adulthood, and he's about to begin his ministry. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to open up blind eyes. He's going to, he's going to walk on water. He's going to do all this stuff. In fact, he's going to do so much stuff that, that the Bible says that if all the books in the world were, were, all the miracles of Jesus were written in books that the earth itself could not contain. Is that what it says? All of these miracles. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I can't do one thing until John the Baptist goes first. And what was the message of John the Baptist? Repent. All this stuff Jesus was going to do, heal everybody, feed the 5,000, on and on and on, blind eyes, crippled, walking, all this stuff. He said, yep, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. But I can't do nothing until John the Baptist goes first and preach repentance because repentance is what releases me to accomplish my purpose. Oh, Jesus. Do we want the Lord to accomplish his purpose in Mankato? In this church? In your life? Do you want to see the things God's promised to you? He said, if you'll allow repentance to go first, it'll open up the door and I'll be able to do everything I've promised and everything I've spoken. Would you lift your hands right now? Lift your hands in the presence of the Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.